0: space, the final frontier, well, okay, not not really, alright, uh, take two, take two, here in the mitten state, welcome to Code 47, bringing you all things Star Trek, spanning the quadrants, the best thing since the neutral zone.
1: My friends, we are back again. It is episode... Oh, God, I got this wrong on here. Episode 85 of the Code 47 podcast over on the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Find our podcasts wherever you find podcasts. But most importantly, if you're over there on Apple or Spotify or what have you, subscribe to our network feed. That's really where it's at, because you do get all four of our programs. You get this great show, talking all about Star Trek. You get uh, the co-op mode, all about video games. Holocron Chronicles is all about Star Wars. And then, of course, every single Friday since 2014, you get your original Guide to the Geek side. That would be the Secret Friends Unite podcast podcast. Program. Welcome to our show. I am Charlie Carden, Fleet Captain. We are all in uniform today because you are potentially listening to this when it drops on Halloween, October 31st, which is tomorrow as we're recording this. But I am uh, Trek Lord of West Michigan, your humble servant, Fleet Captain of the USS Grand Petoskey, Charlie Carden. I am joined as always by my stalwart shipmates here in this shuttle pot of doom. That would be... wait what. <laughs> Oh, didn't I tell you? That's I did shuttle pod one. What's going on here? Oh boy, that would be. <laughs> I did
2: neat. not sign up for a suicide mission. Thank oh, you.
1: <laughs> well, you should have read the Ferengi print. Okay, anyway, we've got Katie Quinn on microphone number one. Katie, how are you? Hello,
2: I am good. I am on a new fancy microphone, thanks to the fleet captain. Yes. Um, so I am probably sounding a lot smoother and nicer than I ever have before. So thank you.
1: I like it. And wearing that beautiful uh, operations division. Dress uniform, that would be Lieutenant Junior Grade Peter Stein, our Chief Engineer. How are you, my friend?
0: Better now that my network has not crashed.
1: Isn't (laughs) isn't that an irony? Because that's what you do for a living. You work on network stuff. And then you get bit by the bug. Oh, my goodness. Well, we have a ton to talk about this week. We have. uh, We have an ending and a beginning. We actually have three new shows to talk about. Uh, And then Katie and I are going to dig into... uh, Star Trek Voyager, uh, a particular segment of which she has lots of notes. So I ready. may
2: have warned Charlie, and so I guess I should just, you know, warn all of you that I will be going on rants about particular episodes. And if any of you have listened before, you probably know which episode I'm going to go on a rant about.
1: It's not going to be subtle, nor should it be. <laughs> okay, let's, uh, let's kick it off. Uh, we're getting into the final two uh, episodes of Lower Decks for season three. Uh, the first of which I'm going to toss this to, and again, guys, I put a long summary in here. I don't want you to read it. I put it in there for notes because I'm like, what was the name of such and such? Oh, no. <laughs> but anyway, Katie, why don't you take on episode nine?
2: Of course. Uh, we had a Lower Decks episode nine, Trusted Sources. And this is basically, um, Captain Freeman decides to try to do a swing by project or project swing by where they are initiating kind of a follow-up second contact. It does not go as planned. How about that for a little elevator pitch? <laughs> it does
1: not go that you know what it has the essence of beautiful sitcomery. It does not yes. go. Plan <laughs> on this very special episode. Um, you know, uh, Katie, your thought. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna wind myself to, up to go last. This one is yours.
2: <laughs> um, I really really liked it. It felt like it um, stayed very true. Kind of felt like a lot of the uh, ending of epi- or season two where. Stakes got a little bit stronger, got a little bit higher. Um, Characters were very much acting the way they did. But you also saw a real culmination of the growth of Mariner in particular um, with how she was acting, how she was um, interacting with the rest of the crew, and how she really felt about Starfleet and really how she hadn't been trusted in a lot of it and how a lot of the reasoning she had for not feeling like part of the crew was very, very valid.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, the the perpetual screw up. So, Um, Peter, how about you?
0: I quite like this episode. As we all know, I really like when we do uh, callbacks to things that we only see once. Uh, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's entertaining to touch it again. So dealing with the crack addicts from one of my least favorite episodes. (laughs) I was Uh,
2: laughing so hard because I was like, oh. oh, wait, I'm like, no, this is the one where Riker went. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's the only part
1: of the episode I remember. Kirk's
0: son freezes Riker. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: It was Kirk's son, and then it was Khan's lieutenant played the guy on the other side.
0: Yeah. Uh, so in I, I, I quite yeah. liked how, like, they had the Onarans, like, they had turned themselves around, but they turned themselves around in a not terribly healthy way either.
1: Right. <laughs> Workout right. freaks. Exactly. Um, fitness nuts. It's like,
0: yeah. Which, you know,
1: makes sense like it's it's yeah here's a mural of the enterprise flying away and here's a mural of when we kind of lost our minds going through withdrawal it was like
2: (laughs) (laughs) it was very very beautifully artistically rendered though i gotta say
1: it's amazing that somebody going through withdrawals could you know paint like that but maybe it happened a good a good deal of time afterwards maybe
0: happened afterwards yeah but like i enjoyed that they did that i also liked how they brought back the breen
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we haven't seen the Breen since ds And, Great and also
0: just like the whole, like, I I have to say again, the, the way that they render these starships is just fantastic. Right? See, oh, you know,
1: absolutely. They, they, had, yeah. they had a beauty pass right at the beginning that was very evocative of um, of Voyager's kind of pass-through where you see that they're at warp speed, but you can tell there's a star in the far distance. So you watch the shadow on the other side of the ship go from one side to another. I mean, mm-hmm. and again, rendered in animation. You're like,
2: wow. So- Yes. I have to ask, um, have any of you noticed the koala in the intro?
1: No. I'm I have been sure skipping have. the
0: intro because I've been watching with yeah, you.
2: No, when, when they go through and it does the, like, kind of noise with where they're making the Star Trek swoop, in the intro, there is the koala. It's made in the, out of the nebula. I paused it because I, I did I, notice I,
0: there was a face. I just didn't like sit there and go like what is this? Yeah.
2: No, I rewound it because I noticed that a couple episodes gosh. ago and I was like, Oh my god, I think that's a koala. What's <laughs> so I, now I, I just want to watch the rest of like Discovery and uh, uh koala. Yeah. And like the newer seasons where they you, do that. And you, I wanna you, see if are koala's there.
1: could this be the modern Trex Age's answer to the number forty seven? A koala? Like Possibly, the wall and everything. Oh my yeah. god! you know, you know what? This might have to be a little research project that you know, <laughs> kind, of, kind of circle back with us. So, uh, anyway, I love this too. Um, I come to find out that uh, the the Admiral Buenamigo, who we come to find out is is the falls into a certain Admiral trend, which I don't I don't want to give away because we kind of find out about it in the next episode. Is actually he's voiced by uh, Carlos Awazaki, who is the father of rock over on prodigy the, the the young the young girl who voices rock this father and son had no idea and i like him he was in a show called reno 911 back in the early early 2000s if you yes know, comedy central yeah he was he was the
2: that's one where played. i know him from okay yeah.
1: and and he's the taco bell dog Kiro taco bell Same
2: i did dude. not know that
1: that's probably why i recognize the voice <laughs> see? yeah exactly so well, um, and
2: you do get at the end you kind of get a vibe for what's happening because you know they meet the Breen um the Cerritos does and they're getting their asses kicked so this new Texas class um automated chip comes in and kind of saves the day and it's this secret uh project that uh, he's been working on when they first right. did I
0: was like is this section 31 showing up because I don't recognize I wondered, and yeah. then it was like oh it's automated I was like um, yeah. i mean no, props right. to you for not going back to the old section 31 trend because right. i'm a little over it i
2: mean we did right. have that we did have that spoof with um right or with yeah, um, yeah. yeah. With, yeah, yeah. i
0: thoroughly appreciated right. that one. Yes. Right.
2: and so if section 31 shows up with with william i will be totally <laughs> right. on board with that i think that would right. be a great way yeah. to yeah. introduce them
0: i like but it has to be with him
2: oh yeah. absolutely just
0: have another, yes. another like well, yeah, I'm um, this Ad- Admiral Marcus sort of
1: deal, like, right? Yeah. Exactly. Another another lousy admiral. So uh, I love that we finally got um, the culmination of the dreaded Starbase eighty. Uh, <laughs> that you have these yes. guys, these guys. Who, eighty. <laughs> yeah, they're essentially wearing like rumpled, like dirty suits, and they have the old TNG combat badges, which I thought was funny. And and when he has to see if when uh, Freeman calls at the end to find out because it's assumed that Mariner is the one that torpedoed the ship in the interview and that's why they end up looking so terrible in the news Uh, from this news reporter who is voiced by, I had to look this up, the person voicing the reporter, if you followed Parks and Rec, was the one reporter on Parks and Rec. Shanna Malway Tweep, if you watch that. (laughs) I I had to look it up because I'm like,
2: oh, this is... Okay, again, why she sounded familiar. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. So, um, but yeah, no, it ends up on Starbase. So he has to call, says, well, I calling to talk to Beckett Mariner he's like, wait a minute, he's got old, school rolodex looking through so it's just it's it also just,
0: had like the minivan version of the smart car of shuttle pods oh how funny yes oh my gosh. I it, had,
2: it reminded me very or she reminded me very much especially with like her little uh, automated camera thing of uh and or um the expanse the reporter on the expanse oh
0: yeah who was yep. sneaking around she reminded me reminded me of her and of allers from mass effect so there's a yes, little bit of gold yeah, there. definitely. I guess reporters in the future just
1: right, <laughs> right over my head. But yes, tra- it's traveling basically with the droid, like in Star Wars. So, mm-hmm. um, so anyway, yes, we do find out at the end of the episode that she's now runoff, which we all were pretty sure was going to happen, and she's hanging yep. out with uh, the, basically, Star Trek's answer to Dr. Aphra, Petra, Aberdeen, and they're running around doing archaeology. It's
0: Indiana stuff. Jones in space. Yes, yes, exactly.
1: Exactly correct, which we get some nice satisfaction of in the season finale. Peter, episode 10 is yours.
0: All right, it's episode 10, The Stars at Night. In the fallout from the previous episode with the Texas class the California class could potentially be um, all mothballed and so they set up a race to try to deal with that and we also see a bunch of mess from
1: that
2: (laughs) <laughs> and more mess. Yes.
1: And lots, there's lots more of mess. mess. So much mess. And, and Mariner this, has a character art completion. Exactly. Yes. I will say that this episode, did you guys watch it a second time and, and watch the Easter egg, which I didn't know was there until well, at the I,
0: end? Yeah, it's, uh, yes. Yes.
2: yes. Also,
0: something that I was completely expecting when they brought up stuff about what the Texas class is. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Exactly. my um, God. Like, ah, but I go. like
0: when they had the peanut hamper episode and they showed the implant, I was like,
1: Okay, mm. There's gonna yeah, it's going to be payoff, right? Right, <laughs> so, you're right. We and we had we had two great character arc completions because you finally got to see, uh, you got to see Rutherford's acceptance of his well you know it's evil and it's bad tech
2: but it's so cool yeah but there's so many uh, sub menus i still discovering
1: yeah <laughs> right exactly oh my goodness so yeah we do find out that buen amigo is a bad role he's he's a bad dude um mm-hmm. he comes right out and says man once you make admiral you you're plateaued you're not really getting noticed anymore people you know don't really care about what you do so i had to come up uh with this texas class ai and yeah it's evil but you know so what well you know, in the in the long tradition of the kill all humans and the robots, and the cylons, and you know Bender from Futurama, uh, the Texas <laughs> class turns bad, and it mostly but blows up mostly, in a yeah. very
2: creative way. Like I, it, it did right. have a very organic through line because of Rutherford's, which you know I had right. said that it, I didn't really love like how much exhibition ex exposition heavy his episode was, um, but. It did feel like it had a really great through line with it being the AI that he had developed, which was evil, that he had then, you know, spoilers based Badgie off of. So it was very emotionally unstable AI with the daddy issues.
1: (laughs) Oh my goodness, Badgie. I know it's the worst. (laughs) So
2: Badgie returns, but
0: you know, with the evil trifecta in the next season, I'm sure.
2: Oh, I know, but it's gonna be great.
1: Fantastic. No doubt about it. Now, it took a whole season, but we do have back the um, uh, Talen... The Vulcan, uh, the the <laughs> overly emotional Vulcan that we saw in the in the yes. the, the We Doc episode at the end of last season, uh, and this brings back a character or, or a, excuse me a casting note which I was very enthusiastic about. Now I told you guys that for Grand Rapids Comic Con, I did have Donovan, who's the guy who built our chair. I commissioned him to build all the Voyager rank badges, the provisional officer badges. She's wearing one, and we actually also end up seeing one. In the first episode, in the, in in our next uh, segment, which yeah. is talking about prodigy, yeah, so that's fun. I'm going to use those. Um those provisional badges, I might sprinkle those around on some of the, mm-hmm. some of the uniforms we have on like yes. mannequins. I was very, I, very excited to see her come in. Yeah, so that'll be fun. So, yes. Yeah, they said her. she was getting reassigned. Oh,
2: yes, yeah, I have been right. waiting. I can't believe right. I had to wait an entire season, though, to see her. It
1: took a long time, but it, it's fun <laughs> because she's going to be all vulcan and then Tendy's going to be all Tendi-like and the two of them, are they're going to be the odd couple.
2: Oh, it's um, going to be beautiful. I'm so excited.
1: Yeah, it's going to be good stuff. Other, okay. th- other thoughts about the episode? I
2: say, we have to to talk about how Shax had his dream come true of yes. being able to eject the warp core because that oh. was that might be my favorite scene in the entire series so far of people like clapping as he's crying.
1: Oh, <laughs> and he's, walking through. He's, he's, he's so sensitive. I, just, I, I know, love and,
2: then, and like, it, and that's the thing is, was this beautiful payoff because you know he's he's the big bear and. He, at the beginning of the episode, Boimler does a pretty spot on impression of him. I did love I Talk About the Prophets More Than Ferengi. That was a great line. Um,
1: he's <laughs> talking so fast, I think I missed that. I just of course I noticed when he's imitating, you know, probably my favorite character on the show of the senior staff, which is, of course Dr. Tony. Oh, yeah. Remember, remember all the all the bleeps. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's just yeah, well yeah, I think Boimler's kinda lost it since Mariner left. And of course in talking about Mariner, this we got we got her Doing the temple robbing, which is which was a mm-hmm. clip that we saw back in April when we got the um, all the first yep. images in the first trailer of the the the, the skinned little Klingon, literally cling Indiana on. Jones. It yeah. was the first
0: it, bit of Indiana
1: Jones. It's a Czechoponian idol from Indiana Jones, of which I have with my cosplay. That's why I decided I'm going to put on tomorrow is my Indiana Jones because I have a new jacket I've not worn with that cosplay. So looking forward to that. But that was fun. Um, you know, and what I like about Mariner's character arc is that they actually ended with being like, oh, she's going to be gone for most of half of the rest of the season doing this Mm -hmm. and that. No, you know, this was like, it was an episode, and then it was a a teaser at the end of the prior one. And they they wrapped it up, and it was good. Plus, you got to find out that Petra wasn't, that she wasn't really a bad egg, because she was No, she was working for
0: Picard. (laughs) She was actually doing
1: doing a job, so yeah. Yeah. But again, it's funny because in Petra says to Mariner at one point. Oh, it's funny how you that you think how money works, but then you think this, this is an endowment from Picard. What's the endowment? It bottles of wine, like a whole shipment of wine. And if he course. sells wine
0: to the Ferengi, he has latinum. So
1: yeah, that's
2: huh? fair. I mean, yeah, he might okay. not necessarily just sell it to um, you know Earth or the Federation.
1: Right. Exactly. And I will Man. say
2: that, like, because I had initially, you know, this was all stuff that we had kind of predicted happening um and i will say because i had said that i would have been really bummed if they kind of did this kind of one and done with mariner as far as the episode goes of her leaving and then coming back but the way that they did it really felt complete and it didn't feel rushed so even though it was kind of a one and done deal i i wasn't upset with it coming in the way that it did
0: yeah I also have to say about the Warp Core thing, just because that was also one of my favorite parts. I love how there's the double keys to do it. But the one thing that I really, really liked was the fact that we, one, saw it happen. Yeah. Because we Mm -hmm. haven't seen a Warp Core ejection used tactically ever.
1: In Voyager. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, they did it, it, but it wasn't tactical.
1: Yeah. Well, in Insurrection, they skipped it, too. Well, they did it, but it wasn't. But you it. in the
0: same way. Like right. you saw mm-hmm. it blow up. Yeah. But so you're seeing it like come out of the ship, tumble, and then detonate and destroy everyone, which everyone, which at least the nerds of us who read like Warp's core schematics are like, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Also, the, like also the Cerritos dropped out of Warp like it's supposed to.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It fell and just going
0: out of a wormhole like they did it into darkness. So it was just like, okay, you did that and you did it right. Yes,
2: but and also yes. let's talk about yes. the emotional payoff that came with that because oh, then yeah, uh, yeah. Right. the um ship comes back which what was it called the uh, the the Alito the Alito yeah, yeah the Alito, the Alito comes yeah. and is just wailing on the Cerrito, so you're like okay. And another ship pops in, and you're like, okay, this is where like you know the Titans going to come, even though they Enterprise, are like Titans across from the galaxy, they're not getting yeah, any help right. there. And it was every single California class really ship that cool. came yes. in no, yeah. to save their ass,
1: rattling off all the all the California town names that that make them up. So the, yes. the Sherman Oaks was the one that made April go Sherman Oaks. <laughs> <That's kind laughs> of <my friendship>. uh, <laughs> that was awesome. All right, so uh, in ramping up. One prediction for season four, which obviously we'll, oh, see, I mean, we'll see, we'll see in I, August of next year.
0: Yeah. The, my prediction for season four: we're going to get the evil trifecta of um, Peanut Hamper, Badgie, and um, Agamemus. Agamemus, yeah, we're going to get all three of those guys in the next in next season doing some bad shit, crazy something like
1: rough. like together. Yes, oh.
2: I think it might be that they're antagonizing the entire time, and then like at the end, the climax is going to be them coming together for something. Yeah. Oh,
0: but at God. some point, all three of them are going to be working. Yeah.
2: And I think right. you're going to start seeing um, Mariner ranking up or like working with ranking up and then right. kind of the struggles with her friendship and how that manages with like, maybe right. her and Boimler becoming a little bit more competitive and getting a strain there.
0: Right. Oh, gotcha. That would be a nice character development.
2: Bit. Mm-hmm.
1: You better believe it. Cool. Oh, awesome. I love, like I said, and I've said consistently throughout this, uh, Lower deck season three has been for me a highlight of the series. I think that I, I can't tell you that there was an episode the season that I was like, because yeah. I-, I found each one of them to be pretty, pretty redemptive. So.
2: It's one of those shows where I'm like, okay, they're going to have a bad season at some point, but right. really each season has been consistently better than the last.
1: Growing on. I know. I love it. Well, cool. All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, and I'll take this one on since there's three episodes and three of us. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is episode 11 of season one of Star Trek: Prodigy, which left us back in February. I had to look it up. I'm like, I oh, wonder the last time this was on. Uh, this episode is called Asylum. So our gang, uh, weeks after the you know the big shootout escape from Pazlomora, uh, they have. Uh, done some missions along the way, but they're working their way towards the boundary of Federation space. And you have to remember that the Crote Star itself is a tr- is essentially a transwarp vessel, as I recall. So moving across, and that's also established uh, in some dialogue in, a, in a, a holodeck recording that we see later on the episode, is that it can make the journey between the Delta Quadrant, uh, Delta Quadrant, it, I don't know, here, let's see, to the map, there you go, <laughs> watch my finger, to the Alpha Quadrant, Anyway. Um, so, yeah. So, that that is what our folks uh, did. Um, and so, they do finally reach a very distant uh, comm uh, station where that has a single officer, a Denobulan. I actually I had to look that up because even looking at the animation, I didn't really...
0: Uh, I knew that. it was Denobulan right uh, away.
1: <laughs> of course you did. And a Denobulan, Katie, just so you know, because you're not a fan of the show, that was the, the doctor on Enterprise who was non-Starfleet. He was a Denobulan, Dr. Phlox. Um, so... Uh, They, you know, in all this way, Gwen's kind of struggling with getting peaks of her memory back. She's seeing the diviner, her father, saying, it's your, what is he saying? You're the weapon. It's the weapon. You're the weapon. Yeah. Very, 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 very Palpatine-like. He's got that emperor vibe. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, they end up at this comm relay with this weirdo officer who's got a costuming air that is driving me right up the wall, but we can talk about it later. Um, But he is showing off kind of that new uniform, and Peter, that uniform it's got some shades of what you're wearing, which is a TNG dress uniform, but it's got kind of a flap over that kind of looks like the current Picard uniform. Hey, all I know is that I'm going to buy one. It's kind <laughs> of, a, it's kind of a <laughs> all Good
0: things uniform mixed with this one, right? Is what, it, what it looks exactly.
1: Like. And they've gone to use the all good things badge with the gold, the kind of the gold background. So which I have, about, I have is to a, get a great couple of great badge. I do I have right over there. It's a great band uh, i know so anyway our our crew gets on board um we the station with the, the denobial and science dude his costume here by the way is he has one of the provisional badges from voyager like balana war so lieutenant mm-hmm. junior grade then he also has the pips and he's like a long so it makes me wonder is like is because he's out there and nobody's checking up on him he just can dress however he wants I mean, that seems
0: to be the indication based on like yeah. his hair and yeah. everything
1: so. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. It looks like he just rolled out. It's surprising he put the uniform on he's at all. A,
0: he's got a rumpled up uniform. His hair is right. all over the place. He's got, he's got a badge. He's got yeah.
1: wack, wacky badge and all this different stuff. But anyway, yeah. So the um the station scans the ship that triggers uh the, the weapon, and so the station flips out, and you know our crew's got to escape from the station because they're all over there. The station blows up, and then at the end of it, we're on our own. You know, they're off on their own again. Yeah, um,
0: Leaves in an escape pod. Bye.
1: I know. I yeah. had to watch this and being like, "What happened to the guy?" And I'm like, it "Leaves in an escape pod. What a scumbag!" <laughs> and then, the
0: start he, and just make do random crap. It'd be funny.
1: Exactly, because he, <laughs> he could order them around. Uh, but the the second part of it is we have real Janeway uh, on the Dauntless, her vessel headed you know deeper into the Delta Quadrant. Uh, she watches a holodeck program, which was the Protostars launching, where we see we get see Chakotay finally very excited about that um but they make their way all the way to the diviner's planet uh and at the end of it they're they, they beam down the spacesuits check this out her tellerite science officer jason alexander from seinfeld i kid you not voyager legacy too because he was in an episode of that show i know i could have picked it out. <laughs> i couldn't have picked it out in a million years um I failed to be able to do that, so. What? Oh my <laughs> God. We're not even going to touch that. All right, so, Katie. I am in
2: the same boat, Peter. Don't um, worry. That's, I don't watch sitcoms. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, I watch that's, some sitcoms, just not that one.
1: That's what those crickets were that I heard. All right, Katie. <sighs> I know you're not a huge fan of the lead character of the show.
2: He's what, getting better.
1: Yeah, what did this episode do for you, just kind of yeah. based on your, your trepidation of our lead?
2: Uh, I want to like it. I think that's my problem is that I want to like it, but there's just, I don't know if it's the animation that really bugs me or what, because it just doesn't feel like the characters have weight. Like it feels like a very sloppy rendering, I think would be my big critique. And this is coming from someone who, you know, this is, this should be my jam. I, you know, rebels, clone wars, bad, Bad, Batch. you know, my genre is kid shows that make you cry. Like that is, that is where i live happily right. <laughs> and so i think that it just it feels kind of like those cheaper rendered shows that are made for little kids Okay. Where they're like, oh, they're not going to notice that, like, when Chakotay and um, Janeway hug, that they don't really touch.
1: Yeah, I noticed it too. They're like, like they the, hug, everything's they hug. really it's, stiff it's, and it's awkward. It's very like The Sims. It's like, hello. Yeah, I am and expressing so, human emotion.
2: It kind of reminds me of like a PS2 game, which yeah. is sad because there's a lot of really beautiful rendering. Like, the lighting on their suits, on their spacesuits when they go out, is beautifully right. done. Like, Zero looks amazing. And mm-hmm. I really love Zero and Gwen. Like, Gwen. Give me a spin-off spin-off crossover with her and Ahsoka just taking yeah. over the galaxies. I'd love to see that.
1: Oh, my goodness. But, Dep- depends on how fast that ship can fly. <laughs> <laughs> oh
2: but I just yeah. think a that...
0: Time
1: warp, you know. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I just... It on. feels like they're not treating it with the same brevity that other shows get treated with. And I don't know if it's just because, like, they don't have the resources to do so, so they're not getting... No the environments where it feels like these characters are not just models rendered in a prefabricated environment, but they actually like live and exist within that environment. But it, it does feel like it's kind of just like, Oh, well, you know, it's kids that are watching this. So they're not going to notice when, and a lot of times it's not kids that are watching it. It's Star Trek fans who yeah, grew up with these
1: shows. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, uh... I mean, I will say, yeah, it's an obvious it's it's a wider net to cast to get the Mm -hmm. kids who are who love oh my god, I love Clone Wars. Oh my god, you know, I love Star Wars, but my Star Wars is, you know, the Clone Wars series and my Star Wars is now Bad Batch and my Star Wars is this thing or that thing. Which are things that
2: kids can definitely watch, but you're still pulling in that adult audience.
1: Right, exactly. So yeah, Mm -hmm. so you're right. What's what's the middle ground? I don't know, Peter, what do you think? Uh, <laughs> about that on, the
0: episode. Um, uh, on that I, I would tend to agree that some of the animation has some of that weightlessness um, issue um, I think that we could potentially see a change in season two because um, they'll they might get some, a little bit of feedback or maybe they'll mm-hmm. get the numbers and then they'll be like oh maybe we should take this a little bit more seriously because right. um, I, I think you're right that like because lower decks they take a lot of time rendering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, yes, it's a different animation style, but the starships are 3D renders. They're not like 2D anything. Those are three-dimensional renders. Um. And so I think that if they start to get the numbers, then they can start to put some of the more re- some of the resources into rendering it a little bit differently. Um. To just. It's kind of like with some, like sort of some of the Marvel things that I've noticed. Like some of the lighting and the meshing of layers doesn't work well. Like the characters are modeled well and like they move well, but mm-hmm. like the way that they interact with each other and especially the lighting gets a yeah. little weird. Yeah, um, that's one thing that I always notice is lighting because mm-hmm. right. yeah, <laughs> probably <laughs> be watching all the documentaries on how,
1: how much time they spent. Working oh on yeah, it's of, a ton. You know, lighting right? right. It's a right. pain in the butt. Yeah, can't, can't, can't dig too deep in how the how the sausage is made. No, I totally understand. Yeah. All right, so um, the episode overall, I, right. I, I generally yeah. liked it.
0: Yeah. I
2: did. I did too, and I was really excited to see like where they were going, where they were zeroing in. I, you know, no pun intended, on zero Aha. and when. <laughs> um, Got it. So I, I am hoping, like, I genuinely am hoping that the animation gets better because it was kind of just distracting. And again, I don't know if it's because I have a background in art and like rendering and animation and that kind of stuff. So it's like right. a little more finicky with it, but I definitely yeah. feel like it's going in the right direction as far as developing the characters. Gotcha. Did
0: anyone like the, uh, the Prometheus med, Prometheus med bay? Prometheus, the Ridley Scott film. Cause that's I, what that med bay looked like that they stuck in it.
2: Oh, I have, oh. no, I have not. I did not realize not, that.
1: I, I don't know. I haven't seen that movie since it came out. So you got me. There. Well, it <laughs> all right, well, it's there.
2: Yeah, I noticed the koala, you noticed the cool bed bay. Yeah,
0: exactly. I, I noticed crossovers between all, all sorts of like, we, we like all, They had a Cerritos yeah. MSD online, and I saw I found the
1: Stargate. So, oh my gosh, that is wild. Well, that uh concludes. I i mean, I, I guess I didn't have a lot to say. I'm, I'm glad it's back. I'm excited mm-hmm. to see Janeway again. I'm excited to see Chakotay again. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, we've gotten some tags. You know, we, we've got you know the outrageous Okana is coming back. We know that mm-hmm. that, that the, the Prometheus and the, um, the Protostar will meet, and that's going to be great. But yeah, it's just it's a Tia. But yeah, this is the Star Trek we have to kind of carry us through the rest of the year because this will wrap up in December, like right around, mm-hmm. right around. Thanksgiving No Christmas one of the two. anyway, we've got nine episodes left nine episodes nine weeks so I don't I don't like math. so <laughs> right. Oh so yeah that'll be that'll be just around Christmas. So yeah there we go. So um, well cool. All right well that concludes talking about new stuff and it is time for Peter to leave us unfortunately uh, as we dig uh, as we move forward into talking about Voyager. So Peter, where do people find you out there?
0: Uh, you can find me on the interwebs at Petrus Aquinas on most platforms. Um, you can also find me here on 47. And uh, you can find me on Roland Review or over at um, ELH on YouTube, where I am in a uh, role-playing game, Star Trek. I play a Zindi captain.
1: Well, look at him branching no. out and talking a little bit more about his stuff this week. Yeah. I like it. Good deal. All right. Well, Peter, thank you very much. We will catch you for the next episode. We're going to take a brief pause from station identification, which I always say, but I don't, because all I do is edit the two segments together, but just hold your breath and we'll be right back. And we're back. That didn't take long. Thankfully. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it's just Katie and me. We're getting back into talking about Star Trek Voyager. Uh, We have another six episodes to discuss and I think we're now finally into what is, I'm just giving a glimpse of what is truly season two, because, you know, we talked about last week how some episodes were holdovers and whatever it is. But now we're into the crux of season uh, two, getting into uh, we're actually right around this time. Because uh, yeah, it was it was funny because yeah, th- this first episode has kind of a Halloweenish vibe with hallucinations and all this different stuff. And um, but anyway, I'll go first. Uh, episode eight of the season was called "Persistence of Vision," uh, directed by James L. Conway and written by Jerry Taylor, who helped co-create the series from October of 1995. Um, the crew experiences hallucinations brought on by an alien that puts them into a trance-like state. So um, I remember, and it's, you'll, you'll have no recollection of this, Katie, but because this was a network show and it was owned by Viacom, which also owns uh, MTV back, back in my day when MTV <laughs> was videos.
2: Hey, uh, I remember MTV and when it played videos, I wasn't allowed to watch it, but I remember.
1: It. Oh, okay. Well, you know, that's, <laughs> that, that's step one of it. There was, and I've watched this episode over the years and I've never caught the cameo but I think it's pretty obvious where it would be at. But there was an MTV VJ called Kennedy. She was, a, she was a tall, skinny girl with glasses and stringy hair. She was like a tall Lisa Loeb, if you know who Lisa Loeb is, who was mm-hmm. a girl with glasses and long black hair. <laughs> anyway, Kennedy from MTV was apparently, I think, one of, the engin- one, of the, one of the crewmen in engineering that you see. So anyway, um, so yeah, we run into a, a race. Uh, that it clearly does not really want um, Voyager to be going through their territory anyway in what I consider to be a, a pretty unremarkable episode. I don't know. Katie, what were your thoughts? Um,
2: I, I liked the episode as far as it building out Cass um, and the Doctor, because Cass is able to kind of distinguish what's going on. It's kind of, you know, that lucid dreaming state where she acknowledges that she is hallucinating a lot of the times, um, and they really, really have to fight her on that. And it was a great way to show her growing uh, telepathic abilities and also, you know, bonding with her and the doctor and what a beautiful relationship they end up having. Um, so overall, I thought it was a really good way to build out and kind of do character development without being like exposition heavy of like, this is the characters and this is what their thoughts and feelings are because you had their desires coming forth with these, um, with these hallucinations. So, I mean, like, I always think the, uh, the Taurus Chakotay line is a little, a little weird.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Where I feel like they can never really figure out who they want to hook up because it's like their sexual tension between Kess and Tom, their sexual tension between Taurus and Chakotay and then Chakotay and Janeway and then Tom and Taurus. And I'm like, you,
1: honey, you just think at some point it's just going to break down and just everybody's going to be getting down.
2: Right, and then kind of the doctor and Cass, and I'm like, okay, everybody, everybody, just stop and go take a cold shower, please. Yeah, right.
1: Oh, God. Cold. Sho- oh, there you go. There's an episode named "Cold Showers in Space." Uh, <laughs> cold we tonic di- showers. Cold tonic. Cho- yeah, because we didn't get uh, we didn't get an episode name out of uh, the first part of the show, so that's pretty good. Um, yeah, you know what? I, I I agree with all those things. Uh, I was you know majorly creeped out by the Chicote Torres vibe. Yeah. Because yeah. their relationship becomes much more father daughter as the series mm-hmm. goes on. Because you know, even in the in the later season episode, when all of our crew, they're actually the the this the, they're the du- when they're the duplicates mm-hmm. uh, they get duplicated on the demon plan, then they fly off in that alternate ship. Paris, Paris and Torres get married earlier on and Chakotay gives her way so I'm like well I, I'm glad hopefully they both right. have she's put it out of her mind that she really wants to bone him so that's yeah. that's, that's good. And
2: that's that's kind of like I've even because like I've gone forward because um, I've wanted to watch more episodes but I have to watch these so close to when we record so I don't forget True. them.
1: <laughs> I, do, hey. and I, do, I do a lot because you know hey, a lot of- yeah. How yeah. are you doing? Yeah. you know a lot of my a lot of my work travel I'm I'm in hotels overnight. Yes. Tra- I'll travel with the Roku so I plug it in. And I'll just grab random episodes, but I've been watching yeah. it again and again and again for thirty yeah. something so years. Yeah.
2: I've been watching like the third season and there's the episode where um, Torres starts getting like psychically connected to that race where she has those reoccurring dreams of like her oh, other right. lover. And she actually goes to Takota and being like, Hey, I'm having these kind of sexy dreams. And he's like teasing her about him in a very much like a fatherly or like older brother sort of way, right, right. where it's a very much a platonic kind of rel- And I'm like, if that dude, if you were like into him, that would be the last thing you want to talk about is like, Hey, I'm exactly. having sexy dreams about another dude. Yeah. So it felt very Weird to right. me, like that exactly. part.
1: <laughs> yeah, so maybe that's what kind of kind of squishes the episode. Yeah, me. we also get the first version of Paris's dad, mm-hmm. uh, actor Warren Munson, who is replaced by a great actor whose name is going to absolutely escape me. That he, in, later in season six, when they finally make contact with the Alpha Quadrant, it's actor, oh my God, he's in so much stuff. The guy who becomes Tom, Tom Paris's dad would see him time and again. So, yes. in Paris. so, at me at Twitter and remind me so that, because otherwise I'll just go ahead and look at it. Up. <laughs> um, but anyway, moving on, Katie, I know that we're going to spend some time on this one. and I feel like I feel like I'm not going to have much to say about it so this is uh, this is going to be all yours so go
2: so again if someone doesn't want to hear me go on a rant you can just skip forward like 10 15 minutes while we'll talk about cold fire um but in the meantime we're going to talk about tattoos um or excuse me tattoo that's what it's called Um, and this is yeah this is just one um and this is where takote encounters non-humans who have the same tattoo on their foreheads as he does and what the fuck Just so many what the fucks. I want you to know that while I was watching this episode, I messaged Charlie and I was like, Charlie, I have to warn you. I'm taking notes. I am writing a goddamn essay because I have so many thoughts about this episode.
1: Okay. Okay. Slow down. New name, (laughs) the WTF meter.
2: (laughs) So first I know that I have prefaced with saying That I wasn't going to rant about Chakotay's character after we initially talked about the problems of, you know, the fact that they never really established what Indigenous American tribe he was from, or like the kind of loosey goosey way that they play with him, but and also the fact that Highwater, their you know Native American consultant, was a hack, but. High water is not an excuse at this one. Like, you see,
1: and I don't, I don't know anything about you. You dug deeper than I did. I never yeah. knew.
2: Well, so they he had yeah. a,
1: a real consultant. Who was they somebody.
2: had a supposed consultant who I think says he claimed he was from, I believe, the um, Chippewa or Cherokee Nation. Uh, forgive me if I'm if I'm getting that wrong, but it turned out that he. Did not have any roots to any of those tribes, and oh no, yeah, and basically was just working as a consultant in Hollywood and on several different series. And even at this point in time, he had been known to not like that his credentials were not valid, but people were still using him. Uh, so he God. was really he was lucky that it was not in the age of the internet where that right. information could have been put out further. But right, um, so. Now, the actor who plays Chicote.
1: Robert Robert Beltran.
2: Yeah. I was actually... I was a little impressed because I'm like, oh, I know that he is Mexican-American. So I'm Mm -hmm. like, cool. They're actually putting him in Central America. That would make sense as far as, like, the actor's heritage go, that Mm -hmm. he, you know, they're putting him more Central American, maybe Guatemalan or, you know, El Salvador, where you would have Mayan ancestry.
1: Mm -hmm. Cool. That sounds
2: good. Awesome.
1: Right. Right. But... But (laughs)
2: <laughs> but then you've got people coming with very like Hollywood style, like feathers and like Native American, you know, right. representation where I'm like, so what are they doing in Central America? Who is the rubber tree tribe? What right. is this tribe they keep talking about with the rubber trees? Right. Right. So then they're talking about the, the sky gods or the sky spirits. So I'm like, would you please just pick a lane? Like there is so much rich heritage, like with you've got the Quasicoidal and all of these amazing gods and lore of the Mayan ancestry, which the Mayans were prevalent in that area as far mm-hmm. as like ancient indigenous culture. So why would you not just take from that? Like again, why are you going off of Native American ancestry when you're not even right. in the United States at this point?
1: I <laughs> don't even want to say off the reservation, because even right. that's too loaded.
2: Right, exactly. Like this is not even this they're you're in a completely different section, which was just so it was it was so Hollywood whitewashing, it was painful to watch.
1: <laughs> my gosh. Oh. And then
2: so Charlie, I have a question for you.
1: Okay, I'll do my best.
2: Because these <laughs> <laughs> these guys he cuz he finally meets the sky spirits which are these ashen pale skinned blue-eyed motherfuckers
1: <laughs> i mean you know if you're if if you're going to go for broke go with well, your ashen down pale, blue-eyed to, to say
2: that 4500 years ago they discovered a race with no culture and no spoken language and no nothing to speak of, but they respected the land. So they didn't have culture, but they also respected the land. So by but Western standards, they didn't have that,
1: culture. Wouldn't that be their culture then respecting exactly. the land? Exactly.
2: Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's what I was like. I'm like, I'm sorry, you did not just, what? Okay. Um, so, <laughs> you not
1: what? Okay? Huh? Where?
2: <laughs> so then they give them culture. Um, so I'm curious, 4,500 years ago, from that time point, because this is Star Trek time, wouldn't that put them in like the mid sixteen hundreds?
1: Uh yeah, this is set in twenty three seventy two. Mm-hmm. So dial it back uh, to nineteen hundred and seventy two. Less another five hundred years. Did I do that math right? Four thousand. Uh, so wouldn't it be? And so another five hundred years backwards. So yeah, sixteen hundreds.
2: Yeah, it'd be like the mid sixteen hundreds that they're yeah, saying so that they discovered discovered this race.
1: <laughs> it's Plymouth Rock, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 It's, yeah. it's it's bad math. It is bad Star Trek math.
2: Because yeah, because even at that point, they're saying if they were going off of nineteen ninety four standards, you're still looking at like two thousand BC. Which right. would be Egyptians, you know, Mayan culture, like those cultures. the Mayans were uh, had formed agriculture at that point. Yeah, well, like, the,
1: the Mayan culture had they had roads and uh, right. From, I remember from Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, they had roads and aqueducts. Yeah. And technology there, was
2: there was tons of stuff, stuff there, there. And, right. and they're showing them at this like pre-Inuit culture that they're interacting with. I mean, that's this exactly
1: is, that's exactly what they showed. They showed, you skull know, yeah. in the, in the So snow. at this
2: point, yeah. you're saying that you, they found this race. That this race then had time to go down and settle in Central America.
1: It's not a short trip, if they. No, came.
2: which is not a short trip. All Alaska in 40, like, or,
1: Yeah, the Siberian Bridge, you know, the land bridge, was, or whatever.
2: This was, you know, aliens built the pyramids because brown people wouldn't have been competent to do it. Type of level of <laughs> <God>. just ignorance <laughs> to my point. <laughs>
1: God, I. Yeah. Okay. I. And it's interesting. I listen to I listen to a great show, and these guys are mm-hmm. uh, guys who I interact with on social media. Uh, Norman Lau and John Champion do a great show called Mission Log on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. And I probably have mentioned this before. They break down episodes just like this one um, where they will do a, a short synopsis, and then they'll spend the rest of the show. It's about an hour like our show is. They'll spend mm-hmm. the rest of the show. Um, addressing how it holds up in modern lore, and they are—they did this episode just a few weeks ago. Katie, I would encourage you to go back.
2: Oh, listen, I definitely listen, want to watch that or listen yeah, to
1: that listen to that segment. It's probably from like maybe a month ago, um, so I would definitely go check it out because they, um, I, I, you know, they didn't—they didn't ramble in quite the fashion that you did, but, <laughs> but you'll like—you'll you'll like, you'll like how these how these guys represent. So, all right, any further thoughts? If you were—is <laughs> you know, this your like? You know, if you were going to do it, O to ten, this would be like a negative forty-seven. On this
2: is this account. is sitting on um season two, episode one of uh TNG territory for me.
1: Oh, the uh, this the, is the child. Yes, spraying her baby. Okay. This is
2: that is that is where this episode is. Just because they this should is, have known better is, in yeah. nineteen ninety five or nineteen yeah nineteen ninety five, they should have known better.
1: Right to actually do math. So basically, yeah. uh, sky spirit aliens don't do math. That is the big takeaway. Yes. Away. Yes. Oh <laughs> my god! All right. Well, yeah. I don't. You know what? I don't have anything else to contribute because how do you even follow that up? This was uh, this was obviously a character building attempt on Chakotay's part, uh, but everything else around it um, really is a friend. yeah.
2: And from my understanding, the episode kind of got passed around quite a few times, like as I was reading into it to try to figure out, like, who wrote it and why they wrote it. It seemed like it was one of these, like, throw at the wall a few different times to see if it stuck. And so it seems like it just got kind of muddled in the meantime. And it it's it's just really sad.
1: The same methodology they held on to for Picard season two.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And from my understanding, Chakotya was created with the same kind of idea of Uhura, where Uhura became a great representation and a great... Right, you know, um, pillar Um, uh, for the black American community. And they were like, cool, you know, we'll create this character who can have that same kind of effect for the indigenous community. And the problem is, is that they just kind of created a character and a stereotype rather than digging in and allowing the character to breathe like they did with Ahura.
1: Right. Exactly. Well, Feels like a good time to move on.
2: Uh, <laughs> yes, I am done. All right, okay. welcome back, everybody who decided to skip the first 10 minutes. <laughs>
1: you know what, I, I would bother to research the time codes in it, but that was, that was too good. I think everybody should hear it.
2: <laughs>
1: um, episode 10 of the season is called Cold Fire. Uh, came out uh, on November 13 in 1995. Directed by Cliff Bold, Star Wars to the series. Story by Anthony Williams and teleplay by Brandon Braga, who, again, is a, is a real... Uh, bulk word in in star trek writing and okampa helps kes with her mental abilities as the crew encounter a being who appears to be the caretaker's female counterpart hmm i'm wondering <laughs> if there's some male female stereotypes that might be thrown into this caretaker what? caretaker <laughs> reasonable uh reasonable and well balanced uh the female caretaker oh, better not i'm not even you know what i'm not even gonna I don't
2: want to <laughs> what, You mean when she shows up as an unstable child and that's how she chooses to represent herself?
1: Uh huh. Temper tantrum. Yeah. You know, <laughs> what all the, you know, racist old white men say this is why we can't have a woman president. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so, yeah, this episode actually guest starred uh, Gary Graham, who uh, was in the television version of the movie Alienation in the early 1990s, which I like very much. Uh, but he was also. Um, ambassador Saval on enterprise who is a regular recurring character and actor i like very much um so yeah he was he was the uh the ocampa from this ocampa space station who you get a bad vibe from him i think right from the jump he's kind of an arrogant i mean i feel
2: i feel kind of bad for the actor because i feel like every time i've seen him anything he just kind of gives a skeevy vibe and i don't know if that's just who he is as a person but i feel
1: kind of bad (laughs) Yeah, because at least with Soval, he gets a redemption arc because he he comes on the show and like all the Vulcans in the show he's really arrogant and like all oh, humanity doesn't have the br- 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 br. and by mm-hmm. the end you get a you know he kind of comes around and he's the one who takes down the um, Vulcan High Command you know in season four uh, and because they're corrupt you know and so yeah you're right but in this he's just he's a total one note bad guy he doesn't really care about Kes but he is trying to kind of seduce her away from Voyager but he's Which- also you, yeah. yeah. Like
2: he's fourteen, she's three.
1: Right, not even. She's two.
2: Oh yeah, at this point she's two.
1: Yeah, but I mean, this guy is like, well, you know, we have longer lifespans because I'm fourteen and my dad lived to be twenty. You know, composers are supposed to live to be nine. I think is yeah.
2: The, the oldest was nine, as far as yeah. So.
1: Do. This is essentially the high school, you know, science teacher trying to seduce the, you know, 16-year-old mm-hmm. high school junior who's like, "Oh, you know, and not to her part because she tends to keep her head about her shoulders, and eventually she susses it out, but yeah, they go for real horror movie vibe closer to the end here mm-hmm. and it's, you know, nobody gets killed either. So it's not like she comes on and she's, you know, cuz they're obviously real careful about killing people off because it just is going to, you know, re- reduce the staff on the ship, so it's not like they're <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You know, Suspiria shows up, takes the form of a creepy little girl from a horror movie. I think she, she like, uh, takes Torres and a couple of other people and she gives It's Torres a
2: Torres and. um,
1: Is it Tuvac or somebody else?
2: Tuvac. Yeah. It's Torres and Tuvac are up there. like suspended there. from the ceiling. Yeah.
1: She's got a bloody nose, so she's dripping blood. You're like, ooh. But it's not scary. And it's just, mm-hmm. and you're right. The trope of the scary little girl, it's like, it's every bad horror movie you can think of. Right. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just poor. Yeah, and she speaks with a uh, with the scary voice of you know the the, the evil nun or whatever, or the, right?
2: You know, well, like this girl. old crone voice,
1: and she's like, like "Oh, are you exactly." So yeah, I consider this to you know, you know, this is a furtherance, I think, at least of Cass, of her you know the main through line of her character yeah the development of her psychic abilities and her growth as as a character, which is what we hope for any character in mm-hmm. the show. Overall, very clunky, very tropey. Yeah, yeah. just a, yeah. just. A, and
2: like, I, I did enjoy like the Okampa and Cass angle. I thought that was really, really great. Um, the representation of the caretaker was a little bit, a little bit sloppy, and I would have liked to see more with that. But again, you know, and I've been very vocal. Cass is my favorite character on the crew so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really like seeing her develop. And again, the way that they are able to manage keeping her um, innocence and optimism, while also not negating her strength and intelligence as a person, is really, right. really great. And I Good. feel like that played through mm-hmm. on this episode.
1: Totally. Yeah. No. No. I I, I, I like that part of it. But yeah. Overall, uh, you know, the, the rest of it just really didn't shake out. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was just it was just it was kind of the monster in the closet. And then at the end mm-hmm. of it, you got, you got the horror movie. Ending. Yeah. So, to me, yeah. so. Um, all right. So, moving on, we have oh, it's Kazon episode. Yay! It's the Klingons that don't wash their hair. The Kazon. <laughs> uh, you can never understand why. I, I mean, the whole premise of the episode is just kind of wonky. But anyway, this one's yours. Go ahead.
2: All right. Kazon Nistrom board Voyager and steal a transport module or, or module in an attempt to unite the Kazon sex, and it's called Maneuver. Um, it was uh, written by is uh, that David, David- Lam- Livingston and directed by Kenneth Biller. And air November twentieth, nineteen
1: ninety five. Yes, and um, those, those guys are pretty stalwarts of the series, so it's a uh, it, it's set up to be something great. But if it's something great, that's kind of up to you, if you
2: really. <laughs> want. Yeah, and um, I mean, I thought this episode was fun in a way because it does bring um Seska back, mm-hmm. um, where you start to see like Seska as a really a. Like a power to be reckoned with, she's an incredibly strategic military mind. I mean, she is Cardassian, so that is to be kind of expected. Those guys are, you know, strategical fascists. Obviously, they know how to fight, you know. Um, But she does have this weird obsession with Chakotay, which is kind of bordering on crazy ex-girlfriend territory. Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) She, you know, he's a vegetarian, but she would have boiled his bunny otherwise. You know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
2: I do like seeing, Yeah, I guess, again, it is one of those things that I like about Voyager where they don't just stick with, you know, everything being about the captain where you have it, where this is a story that is about Chakotay and about his past and dealing with his Maquis heritage, you know, or his Maquis past. And then also the strife that that brings with Janeway. So it really is a great way for them to, again, build character bonding with, um with those two characters. And it's one of the things I've noticed where even though like they they try to have kind of some through lines with the story and as the character develops more than kind of the monster of the week type of stuff that you see with the other um with the other shows in Star right. Trek. And even when they're really clunky like especially in the later in the series it'll just be like, "Oh yeah, now it's 10 months later." And right. Never mind. And you're like, wait, but what just, like, there were, like, two people floating in space. What the hell just happened? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, why exactly. did you leave? Um, it does really, they do a really great job of developing the characters and sticking with that kind of development as they go forward.
1: Yeah. The the Kazon in general, a couple of things in this episode that, that I, I always find the Kazon weird because I'm like, they, you know, uh have space technology. I think I mentioned before, they have all the stuff necessary for normal space travel that you see in Star Trek. They've got ships with warp speed. They've got, you know uh, you know, uh, directed energy weapons. They mm-hmm. have plating you know, plating and air recyclers and all this different stuff, but they can't figure out transporters and replicators.
2: Well, you and know, I think, um, cause we're not talking about it this week, but I think next in our next session, we're talking about the one where they kind of go into the backstory of the Kazon and why that is.
1: Yeah. yeah it kind of gets answered. Yeah. Yeah, the trade and the, yeah, 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 you're mm-hmm. right. You're right. Cause all their stuff is reclaimed technology. But the mm-hmm. other thing, and this was pointed out, and again, I'll, I'll reference mission log.
2: <laughs> we need to just get those guys on our show. I,
1: I have approached them and they have not really responded, but I'm, just, <laughs> yeah, really, I really, I like their stuff. Um, how and why is Seska able to restore her Cardassian appearance with no medical technology? Answer me that one.
2: I would imagine that. She had the medical technology with her,
1: but it seems like that would well, yeah, well, no. When she got beat, when she escaped Voyager, she was in a hospital gown. So, what did she have? Well, you know, did she trade things? Did she steal things and trade things off?
2: Or was it something where she just was? I mean, because I know that they've done like surgery altering stuff. Maybe it was something where it's like chemicals. So, when she stopped taking the chemicals, it like reverted her back.
1: Cardassian hormones, Cardassian hormone therapy.
2: Possibly, I mean,
1: yes, you know it's- that kind
2: of altering stuff, or maybe you know, I, I don't know, but that is a very, that is a very good point.
1: <laughs> so, um, anyway, I Chakotay and Tuvok are kind of my two favorite Voyager characters. So, the mm-hmm. episode, um, and you're right, I really liked when he and Janeway finally faced off at the end and, and then you saw the sum of, you know, Torres goes to Janeway and, and pleads for, you know, yeah, I know he ran off and he's, he's he's a very private person, but he's very deeply hurt by the fact that he screwed up is making this whole situation happen. Right. You know, and then for him to, you know, and at the end she says, well, you know, I... You know, you make my job very difficult by being the first officer and not following the rules. He says, "I put you on report in case that means anything to anybody." And he says, "It means something to me. It means that I let you down," which right reflects the depths of his character. He's very Starfleet at his core. That's that mm-hmm. is a Starfleet principle: stand by your word. This uniform, this uniform stands for something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, and uh, and he, you know, he he cares for her. She cares for him. And that's it's the the. the the beginning of the emotional complexity for all the JC shippers out there. So ship on.
2: <laughs>
1: this was a good episode for that. So um, so I liked it, but yeah, the whole, uh, um, the on just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And it was it yeah. was no big shakes when we didn't have Kazon anymore. It was totally fine. <laughs> yeah, it, it really was. <laughs> oh all right, so moving on. Uh, episode 12 is Resistance, uh, written, written by, uh, directed by Winrich Colby, who again, big part of the show. A uh, story by Michael Jan Freeman, who is actually, he is a uh, Star Trek novel author, author uh, and has been for 30-something years. And I follow him on Facebook so I can see his postings from time to time. And mm-hmm. Kevin J. Ryan, no idea who he is. Tell plays is by Lisa Clink, who was one of the main story writers of Voyager. And I think this may have been at the beginning of her Voyager career because she was came in after the show had already been going. Um, from November of 1995, a mission to... a uh, Acquire Telirium, which is a fuel or a fuel line. Or, it's something. It's one kind of the of,
2: m- many MacGuffins.
1: One of the many uh, oh. tech MacGuffins that makes the engine yeah. run. Uh, <laughs> goes wrong, shocker, causing Tuvok and Belana to be captured and believed to be with the resistance on this planet. I believe the, the uh, race is the Mokra. Uh, yes. And then for Janeway to be cared for uh, by this kind of wonky, this kind of crazy old dude who's played by Broadway superstar Joel Grey. I don't know if you have any familiarity with him. I
2: do not, but he does a fantastic job with his character.
1: I, you know, and it's funny because I remember watching this episode when it was first on. And who was my roommate at the time? Todd Oxtra. What did of Todd I, what does Todd Oxtra <laughs> like to do? Make fun of everything. So all he did the entire time we watched this was making fun of Joel Gray. Cause he knew who Joel Gray was. <laughs> I had no idea. But I think Joel Gray was in I think he was in Cabaret with Liza. I think that was his big Early claim to fame, but I'm not. Um, yeah, he is
2: best known for portraying the master of ceremonies in the musical Cabaret on Broadway. There you
1: go. He, that's yeah, exactly. So he (laughs) is funny because again, here's the third reference, guys. You're going to start paying me on Mission Log. They just did this one and they mentioned that at age 90 he's still acting, which is awesome. So, or at least he's still alive. He's got he's got a Patrick
2: Stewart level of uh. Of going, of acting chops there
1: <laughs> of, uh, you know his uh, his wife or his partner kicking out of the house and say go do something quit bugging me so um, so yeah cool episode I will admit that I don't think I'd watch this one well again I probably told you that uh, in the time that April and I have been together which is almost a decade mm-hmm. we managed to get through all of the televised Star Treks and as I mentioned on a previous episode the one thing we didn't watch was Star Trek Five, which she watched for the first time just a couple of weeks ago. So I know we watched this one within the last you know decade, but I don't think it's one that I've seen more than a couple of times. And again, I'm mm-hmm. like I have watched all these episodes all these different times. This whole season two of Voyager, I think, is one that I've not really dug into. Um, so I was not really familiar with with kind of what happened or just really how great Joel Grace' portrayal was. But you're, you know, you, you nailed it on the head. He's he's a force to be reckoned with Mm -hmm. mm-hmm so go ahead
2: oh i was just gonna say i really um like honestly the tuvok balana storyline kind of took a sidestep for me it was much more about um janeway and um his character uh uh kayla yeah i believe his character's name was um yeah joel gray's character kayla because it's it's very clear that he has have you know late stage dementias he believes that janeway is his daughter um who has um passed Um, You find out at the end um, and he's looking for his wife who he thinks has been captured by the resistance and you find out was captured because she was waiting for him to Mm -hmm. help her with something. And so he's just got a lot of guilt and a lot of strain and Janeway is trying to navigate the situation. And, you know, she does it with the firm gentle hand that you see Janeway use a lot, which is, you know, she's never cruel to him and being like, what the fuck are you talking about? Obviously I'm not your daughter, but she's gently trying to like correct and be like, okay, well, yeah, yep. I like she he gives her a necklace and she's like I don't think you should do this you know and all of this kind of stuff as he's trying to navigate this and you know it comes to light all of the things that he has done and how he really blames himself and at the end he kind of tries to redeem himself by saving Janeway and subsequently dying in the process and she kind of gives into his delusion by telling her or telling him that she forgives him Right. Um, and, you know, I mean, that mother forgives you, you know, and everything's going to be okay because she just can't stand watching him suffer anymore, which was right. very, very heartbreaking and very, very, you know, moving. Both their performances were very amazing. And, you know, I do think that Tuvok and Bolana they had some great moments of, again, character growth. They're taking these moments to really build on the relationships in form a fully dynamic cast, which is really, really great because you'll be like, okay, well, who hasn't been paired up yet? Who hasn't had their moments to really bond and right. grow together and, and gain right. some empathy between each other? And they're like, oh, you know, Tuvok and Bolana. Let's have them get captured, and then she has to try to deal with watching him get co- tortured and being like, right. I thought Vulcans didn't feel pain, and he's like, oh no, we do. Yeah, but, you know, a- we're a just. Lot. We're just, we're just we're, real stoic about it.
1: We're, we're, just, we're just not really punks about it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You, have, you have two characters that couldn't be any more diametrically different, you know, because Tuvok is a over 100-year-old you know, stoic Vulcan dedicated to Starfleet principles and stuff. And as you learn about it in his past, he had a whole separate Starfleet career that was in the time of TOS. And mm-hmm. he left Starfleet because he really couldn't reconcile how he wanted to live his life versus Starfleet. And then he ended up coming back to it. And then when he meets Janeway, which is just a few years before prior to the series, he is, he's like, he's with her for life and mm-hmm. he, Starfleet. And then you got
2: Wookiee life debts for everyone.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. He is the Chewbacca to Janeway's Han Solo. Mm -hmm. I never really thought about that way. But, you know, you kind of really locked in. As opposed to B'Elanna, who she's a misunderstood kid. She's got daddy issues. She she never really landed anywhere. So she joined the Maquis just because it's hate, hate, hate. And then she mm-hmm. ends up in the situation that she's fighting, but Janeway takes her in and moms her and brings her. Well, into and the sh- I with- mean,
2: she did try Starfleet, but it just, it was very right. much kind of a, a Mariner situation to the extreme of like, no, right. I am, you know, she both rejects, but also embraces her Klingon where she'll use right. it as an excuse if something doesn't go right, but mm. she also hates it.
1: Right, right, exactly. So yeah, two so diametrically different characters finding a way to share this moment. You're right, that mm-hmm. is... That gives me, you know, that's a good perspective that I wouldn't necessarily have thought of in that way. So <laughs> respect, I like. That. <laughs> well, cool. All right. Well, let's move on to the last episode we're going to talk about, which is shades of uh, shades of Badgy and shades of <laughs> shades of the uh, Agamas and uh, of the uh, the Admiral Buenamigo yes kill everyone all right it's yours go for it all
2: right we've got prototype which was written by john jonathan franks and directed by uh, nicholas coria
1: other way around directed other by way around sorry yeah.
2: directed by jonathan franks and written by nicholas coria um air january 15th of 96 and we have the crew finds and reactivates a robot's body which was adrift in space only to find themselves in the middle of a war when balana is abducted
1: Oh, she's such a dum-dum. <laughs> it was her fault. Yeah, but it, it was cool. This is one. I swear it's the last time I'm going to mention Mission Long. They just did it. <laughs> and it's really fun. I mean, I think you're five for five at this point. So. Oh, my God. I know. I really got to dial it back getting all this free press. But it, it's a great one. You've got you know the perspective of just bouncing along in space. And then here comes Voyager. Then you see the transporter effect. And you see you're still seeing it from the perspective of we don't know what. Because mm-hmm. it's got the little blip blaps going by, and
2: everything's black and white. <laughs>
1: and Lana's talking, and two over over shoulder. Jane was over the other, and she's you know she could see she's working. And then the, he turns in a mirror. And you can see that he is what I think is the most low budget robot. I feel like I've ever. Oh, seen.
2: Oh, absolutely! My favorite part is when it moves, and you can very clearly see that it's just a rubber mask.
1: <laughs> oh my god, it's so bad. But yeah, this is this is a story that I think. Has a great concept, but one thousand percent suffers from a weekly TV budget because, um, you know, obviously the visual effects are up to par because mm-hmm. these, these Kravik units, um, which is the yeah the the, the, uh, the name of the robot species, it was it's exactly like Bael Sargulatka and, t- and Katie jog my memory. Is that a show you you've watched the newer the remade yes. version of it? Yes, I oh, have. I- absolutely adore so it's the exact same thing you had a, a assuming a humanoid species of some kind uh, create a, a ro- robots to make their lives easier the Cylons and mm-hmm. the big surprise as usual those robots rise up uh, and kill them off though that's not really revealed to the end but it's super obvious to everybody but as the robot, mm-hmm. robot culture grows or no they didn't really grow because the whole crux of the plotline is they can't plotline is they couldn't reproduce but there, there ended up being two factions you know, one had the, the beige colored. Uh, one was one was gold, one was silver. Right, which is exactly from Battlestar Galactica. She mm-hmm. had silver Cylons, um, but they couldn't reproduce. And so when Bellana figured out that she could potentially build another one of these, they abduct her and they they barely get her back. And then, yeah, it's revealed at the end, which is a surprise to anybody, no one who's ever watched any science fiction, that this was a robot species that killed off um that killed off their, their masters as it were. Um, Are we bummed out that we never saw these guys again? I I liked the concept, but it was just so poorly, just the the way the the suits, because they're wearing like.
2: Oh yeah. It was not well done.
1: Rubbery heads. And yeah,
2: it was a good idea. And again, going back to kind of what we've been talking about as far as that reoccurring theme of building character development. So it was a great way to have mutual respect and understanding and empathy brought between Torres and Janeway. Because at mm-hmm. the end, like Torres follows Janeway's instructions the entire time. Cause you know, she asks, can I try to reactivate? And Janeway's like, yeah, sure. Why not? She does. And then the guy's like, Hey, you're a builder. I need you to help me build more prototypes. She comes to, to Janeway and says, Hey, he wants me to help. And Janeway and her have a very philosophical discussion yeah, right. about yeah, anyway. like, yeah, if this is okay, does this follow prime directive? What's going on? And Janeway ultimately says, no, we can't do that. And so Torres goes, that sucks, but okay, you're the captain. I get it. And so she goes back to the robot, says, no, I can't help you. He says, cool, I'm going to abduct you.
1: Cool, I'm going to abduct you.
2: And then like puts her basically a gun to Voyager's head and says, you know, I'm either going to destroy everything and your entire crew, or you're going to help me build this prototype. Right. So of course Torres does because she's looking out for her crew
1: Right, and, right. Big, you know, big, big growth for her. It's yeah. big growth for her that when she was told no, she didn't like, well, you know, I'm going to find a way right. to do it anyway. Because there's plenty of moments with all of the characters. I mean, at, at some mm-hmm. point or another, every one of the characters gets an ultimatum from Janeway. And they're like, yeah, you know, I I, I, I mean, think I'm going to do it anyway.
2: Yeah, literally, you know, three episodes ago, Chakotay. <laughs>
1: right. But yeah, but later on, you know, in in season one, it was Tuvok with the Projector technology was going to, you know, trade away. Or Harry Kim when he falls in love with a weird alien girl and she gives him.
2: When weird is he not falling in love with a weird alien girl uh, or a hologram know. or something?
1: <laughs> uh, Tom Paris actually gets busted in rank for doing it. He becomes an ensign. He yes. gets he gets marinered, you know. <laughs> so, and it's funny in that episode you say mariner and it has to do with a planet that's a water world. Mariner. This is fair. World. This is fair. Oh
2: Um, but no, I think then at the end where Torres is expecting a reprimand, because that's normally what would happen when she was put in these situations, you can tell she's, she's ready to kind Mm -hmm. of be like, you know, I, I did, you know, a wrong thing. I made a mistake and Janeway supports her and, you know, does again, that kind of loving mom firm thing of really validating her and saying, Hey, you are looking out for this crew. You did what you had to do, and I respect you for that. And I admire you, and you're an incredible technician, you're an incredible engineer. And I that's why I put you here. And right. I would have done the exact same thing in your shoes. And it was really, really validating for Torres. And again, great character growth for the both of them to build that relationship together. Right. So even though like we didn't see them again, and the like casting was really, really bad. Right. And, it just, I don't know if there would have really been a great way for them to continue the story. It was a really good story to use to build those characters.
1: I mean, and that's what overall, if you look at Voyager overall, the benefit of it is that with them traveling in a semi-straight line to, to leave where they are to get mm-hmm. closer to home is that you're always going to have new characters and new conflicts. Yeah, and, you know, and nothing
2: and, ever, yeah. It doesn't ever yeah. really make, or it's never really out of place for them to just randomly fall upon something because they're like, well, obviously, because right. they're in a new part of space now.
1: Right, and then we get to leave behind, you know, the K's on or the Mm Vidi, and that's all well and good. Well, cool. All right. Well, my goodness, this is, uh, I, I'm looking at the, ten- this is the longest episode we've done so far. So I'm pretty, <laughs> pretty excited about that because we got into some real meat. I'm finding I'm having a, a much bigger appreciation for Voyager than I think I ever did. Even though I've always enjoyed the series. I mm-hmm. think having your perspective on the nuances between the characters has been beneficial to me. So i Oh, great. well, thank you. Well, thank you. You got it. All <laughs> right. Well, with that, uh, we're going to wrap up. I'm going to give an extra special plug before we sign off uh, for the fact that here in Michigan, and again, Peter, and Katie and myself are all part of the USS Grand Potoski, a chapter of the International Star Trek Fan Club based here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We have a great big show coming up, the Grand Rapids Comic Con, November eleven. 11th through 13th. We're in 2022. If you're listening in the future, uh, but if you're listening right now, uh, we, uh, we've we always had a great presence at the show, but the really big kickoff is that Saturday night. I'm talking about November 12th, 7 p.m. We are having our first annual meeting where it's going to be a series of awards and celebration of the chapter and a great silent auction for charity for the, to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of Michigan. So if you are in Michigan, please consider coming. Obviously it's with paid admission to the show, but it's really, it's a very affordable show um, to attend and you'll be glad that you did. So we really do hope to see you at the meeting. If you want more information, please contact us uh, through social media channels. We'll answer any questions you have. So With my plug, Katie, where do people find you out there on the internets?
2: You can find me on Twitter at QTGeek. That is Q underscore T Geek. And then at Instagram on Quintessential Geek.
1: Excellent. And you can find me on just about all socials uh, at at the C3. Spell it out. uh, As I was already talking about the USS Grand Petoskey, which I run with my lovely wife, April. Uh, And you can also find me uh, filling up the content over at the Secret Friends Unite Facebook group. Friends, as always, thank you for joining us. I'm going to tell you that sharing is caring and to keep on trekking.
2: And wherever you go, go boldly.
0: This podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit secretfriendsunite.com for more great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other podcast services around the world. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can join us on Facebook or our new Discord server or follow at SecretFriendsU on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends Unite on YouTube and visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.